Welcome to Be Lifted Up. Be Lifted Up with the Successpert, award-winning financial educator, wealth expert, speaker, and author, Alfred Edmund Jr. And your co-host, life coach and author, D. Marshall. It's Be Lifted Up. Be Lifted Up. It's Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. I am your co-host, DC Marshall, and I'm here with the other half of this amazing show. He is the one and only Alfred Edmund Jr. And this is a show about faith and finances. We get to talk to amazing, yummy, delicious people in the Black community. We were just talking off air about there's so much genius in our community um, about living a life of abundance, whether it is walking in your faith walk, um, Alfred is nodding his head right now, or if it's doing right by your financial wealth and your economic stability. I mean, all of that we really cover here on the show. And so today we are talking about service how can my service make a difference? How can your service make a difference? So, Alfred, what do you say about today's topic? You know, this this is near and dear to my heart because it's a reminder that we are blessed with resources so that we bless other people. That yes. point of our service to God is service to one another and service to others. So we're not here to accumulate wealth, resources, however you define it, for our own selves. God is trusting us to distribute that to the advancement of his kingdom by pouring into other people, including financially. So there's no real wealth creation in God's um, eyes if we're not using it to service others. That's right. I love that. You, You know, you really just preached a whole session. But what I love about what you just said, Alfred, is... Um, the gift is not for you. Somebody needs to write that down. This is not Bible study, but but the gift is not for you. The gift is for us to serve. Um, it is for us to pay rent here on earth, um, for us to do the work of the Lord. And so we thank and we praise God today on this show. And so Alfred, on today's show, we're talking about how can my service make a difference and the welfare of the city, uh, right? And you know, when I think about the welfare of the city. I think about so much is going on in the world, not just the city, um, but the world and the country um, that is concerning and requiring us to just show up in life, I think, in a different way with a different posture, a different prayer life, but also um, to think about how we can serve and how we can become part of the solution. And so, I want to hear a little bit of your thoughts, Alfred, but I think about what you said before we went to the break. Um, and that is about, you know, the idea of how we serve and the fact that we are here um, to be of service. In fact, I think of um, the word that says we are here to be good stewards of time, talent, and resources. And I know our guest is going to take us a little bit deeper, but but all of this is to bring us to the conversation about the welfare of our cities, how we take care of our cities, and how we can be of service to make a difference. So what say you, my friend? Well, it boils down to us taking care of one another. I mean, let's face it, we don't serve God because God needs something from us. We serve God because God tells us to show me that you love me, serve your fellow man, serve the people around you. So, yeah, often we can't always feel like we can do something about major challenges and tragedies around the world or outside of our, but all of us can find a way to serve somebody, no matter what you have, no matter how much you have or nor how little you have, 
to be a person of faith, to be a person of God, means serving other people. And God provides to us so that we can serve one another. And by the way, the beauty of it is that if we are truly serving, we can't outgive God. We can't outserve. Like we're, we're never going to run out of enough for ourselves. And mm-hmm. I sometimes I think we, if we have come from a disadvantage or in our own minds, a disadvantaged mindset, we think, well, I can't really do anything because I don't have anything. When the yeah. truth is, the more you do, the more God will equip you to do. And there will always be extra baskets of fish and loaves to go, you know, after okay. you feel like I've served and I've served and I've served. And God's like, no matter how much you serve, there's always going to be more left over for you. So, we, you know, I spent a lot of time in this current season um, fighting um, you know, kind of the owning and hoarding. And I got to hold on to this mentality because I've learned, you know, really by practice, the more you release in service of others, the more God provides to you. And we see that all throughout the word yeah. um, where, where God promises that and he never fails to deliver on that. Yeah, that's a good word uh, on service. And, you know, you really led us into our guest today because our guest, uh, Juanita, Pastor preacher, teacher. She's a, she's a speaker and author, spiritual director, and, and really a contemplative teacher, which I I can't wait to talk to her um, as she comes in, as she enters the room. I'm going to just share uh, just a little bit about uh, Pastor Juanita Rasmus. She understands the power of service. And that's why we have her on the show um, today. You know, uh, when she takes the stage, one can hear the audience just sigh of relief, knowing that uh, her inspirational wisdom is is in the room. Her inspirational insight is in the room, um, you know, and and also because she's a pastor. She has been co-pastor of the St. John's United Methodist Church in downtown Houston. I love Houston, by the way, um, with her husband, Rudy, since 1992 with only nine members. I love the backstory, yes. uh, you know, pastor and, and her husband, nine members in 1992 um, and with great determination, uh, thoughtful teaching, um, thousands of people from all walks of life have, have joined St. John and uh, it, making it one of the most culturally diverse congregations in the country. So without further ado, a round of applause for Pastor Juanita Rasmus. Yes. Pastor, welcome you to the show. Thank you both so very much. What a pleasure to be with you. Oh my goodness. So there's a lot in your background and and you know we're excited to have you here because we're talking about service and the welfare of our city and so there's a problem or a challenge and then there is um a solution and so that's what we're really talking about and we're excited about hearing from you and and just in all of what you do. So um can we start with uh you know a little bit of your backstory and how you got to you know, pastoring a church, starting nine members. We know you co-founded um, Bread of Life, a nonprofit organization. We know you've had some amazing partnerships with uh, Tina Knowles Lawson and Beyonce uh, when you all served flood victims some time ago. Um, we know you launched the uh, Community Development Corporation in 2006, um, and, and also the art project Houston. So we know a little bit about where you are today. Can you just take us back to sort of your faith journey and what sort of led you to doing all that you do today? Sure. Well, thank you again for having me today. Oh boy. If you say go back, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think so much of 
who we are uh, is often in our DNA. And so when I look at my DNA and I look at the DNA that my husband had, uh, we both came from fairly entrepreneurial families. They were people who worked hard, but they also usually had a little side hustle. And uh, that side hustle provided them with some freedom, some flexibility in time and money. Uh, and it also gave them an opportunity to be generous, which is what we've been talking or what you guys have been talking about today. When my husband and I first got married, um, we realized that we were going to need a different kind of church. My husband wasn't a believer at the time. And so we needed a space that was going to be open and welcoming for us to both grow together uh, as a couple and for my husband really to grow in his relationship with God. And so we found that place. And in doing so, uh, my background is that I sold uh, insurance products and securities, mutual funds, limited partnerships, and that kind of thing. And so our pastor invited us. My husband was a real estate broker by day. Um, and he has a backstory about what he did at nighttime. Uh, basically, he and his father owned a borderline bordello. And that had been a dream of my father-in-law's because it was a quick way to make money. As I said, we come from a, a long line of entrepreneurs. And so my husband sold real estate and our pastor at the time asked if the two of us would serve on the commission on stewardship at our church. In doing so, we got an opportunity, or at least I did, because I did most of the teaching from this ministry on time and money freedom, on uh, resources, what it means to utilize our gifts for the good of the community? What does it mean to manage our time well uh, so that we are living our most expansive lives, not our most contracted lives, which I find so many of us are. Uh, but my background really boils down to seeing both of my sets of grandparents take limited resources and because of God's grace and their faithfulness, be able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could have ever imagined as a family. When we were given the opportunity to go to St. John's, neither my husband or I went as pastors because we weren't pastors. We were simply servants. We were asked to go to St. John's, which was a church that our denomination was about to close because it only had nine members who were primarily white. The average age at the time was about 70. This church had served its community, but no longer had vigor, no longer had vitality. And in our denomination, Vigor and vitality for the denomination simply means you can pay the franchise tax. They mm -hmm. couldn't pay their franchise tax. Think of it as having a McDonald's franchise and you're showing up to work every day, but you can't meet the expenses. And so our pastor was given the opportunity to, to take on what we call a two-point charge. He asked my husband and I if we would go down to the church and see what we could do. Well, the first thing we saw was need. Literally homeless men and women sleeping on the doorsteps who were in need of support. Um, our church is in downtown Houston, and so it became a refuge for the homeless community. So when we got there, uh, we said the first thing is, you know, one of the things I've learned in, in my background in sales was find a need and fill it. And so the need was how do we meet the need of the least lost, the last, the left out? We began to provide meals. We started by providing one meal a week a hot meal. We always said that we would not serve a meal that we wouldn't yeah. feed our family, that we wouldn't eat ourselves. Yeah. And so we often tried to provide meals with humanity and hospitality. So that's how we got started. Wow. 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 Indeed. That was a lot to unpack. I heard so many amazing things that I think 
often people take for granted when it comes to our faith journey. The fact that your husband wasn't a man of faith when he got this assignment, that you didn't go there to pastor the church and you went to a church that many people would have looked at and said, oh, well, I guess it's over for them. What, um, what are you guys going to do? You really live out this idea that God can take anyone in anything to accomplish his purposes. And often he does that on purpose because if he took the qualified people, people would give the qualified people the credit. That's right. I just think of all, all the, you know, when I read through the Bible and I'm like all the times when the person was really not quote unquote qualified in the eyes of the world. Right. But God was like, if I can give you a qualified person, you wouldn't give me the credit. You would say, oh, of course that person or those people could do that. Talk to me about, or talk to us, talk to our audience about how, what was your mindset? And clearly based on your entrepreneurial background and your family, it was an abundance mindset, even outside of the traditional um, faith-based perception of that in your quote unquote secular life, the mindset was still there. And the mindset works. God's laws work no, no matter where you are, it's going to work. It's not a condition to just being in the walls of a church. But talk to me about how you approach this idea of stewardship and service um, in this very new situation in Houston that led to these amazing ministries that Dee um, mentioned at the top of the show. Well, you know, the, the reality is we took it one step at a time. Mm. Um, our philosophy has always been do what you can, where you are with what you have. And so often people will say to themselves, well, you know, if only we had more money or if only we had more time or if only we had more people. Well, the reality is when we started our ministry of serving meals to the community, we started with a credit card. And we hoped every Sunday the offering would pay the credit card that we had used to pay for the meals that week. So we started where we were and we did what we could with what we had. Um, the mindset, that's that's so important when you say mindset. You know, the reality is, as believers, you're either going to trust God or you're not. You have to decide. That's I think a whole the word, word right there, a, a whole word. word. The word decide is important. We've got to decide that either God's word is true or it's not. And the reality is we saw in scripture, God take the person who was willing to lift up their offering, in this case, a little boy on the side of a hill, five loaves and two fish. He offered what he had. Now y'all know, these were brown skinned people. Some other folks that had some snacks and some goodies in their bag, but he was the only one willing to offer it as a sacrifice, right? Yes, and yeah. so what we are learning and what we've learned is that one of the statistics that we've often worked with in churches is this 80% of the people give 20% of the resource. Yep. That means 80% of the people do 20% of the volunteering. 80% of the people do 20% of the tithing. 80% of the people do, you know, if you just take that formula and work it all the way down. But here's the key 20% of the people do 80% of the work and give 80% of the resources. What happened at St. John's is that people began to hear about our work, the work that went from serving meals one day a week to providing meals every day. We got to the point where we were serving 500 meals per day and we were doing it in the sanctuary. Wow. So Dr. Rasmus, did you just say um, at St. John's, the percentage flipped from... 20% to 80%, like your engagement, did you say that? Or you said the reverse? 
Okay. Yeah. Because typically it's the reverse that it's 20% of the, of the people do the work and 20% of the people give the most. So I wasn't sure if you flipped that, but you're uh, giving both sides of the equation, 80% do 20. And that means by default, the other 20 are carrying the other 80. Oh yes. That it is, that's the truth. That's the norm. The the thing that struck me about that, both in terms of the, the fish and the loaves, but it translates today is that, the miracle of the fish and the loaves, and you know, and a lot of people want you know assign a certain kind of magic to the faith. It's not magic. The miracle was that once the boy was like, "This is what I have," suddenly everyone was like, "Oh, well, this is what I got." And when you operate in lack and just based on what you have and what you control, then of course that's limited because what you have is a mindset of limitation. When you act as part of the body, in this case, the body of Christ. Then you realize that the one person's willing to share releases the next person's willing to share. And the truth is, we don't know how much we have until we're willing to be open about what we have. That's and true. so much about people not wanting to tithe and not wanting to share and not wanting to give is being ashamed of what they see is the little they have. So the best way to say is that I don't have anything or I don't have enough. Um, and, but if once we trust, mm-hmm. then we say, you know what, this is what I have. I don't know what it can do. But whatever it can do, I'm willing to give. And that releases the spirit of giving that stewardship and service is all about. Is that pretty much what you discovered along the way? Exactly. So I'm so glad you said that. Um, One of the most profound moments in our ministry for me, all right, um, was our tithing envelope. A person put a penny in it and they said, this is all that I have, but I want to give it, right? And Mm -hmm. so for me, that's always been that widow's might, that yes. person who has the heart that's open. And what we found at St. John's is never about equal giving. It's always about equal sacrifice. It's about us all saying, now, this is how much. Matter of fact, there's a wonderful children's story called Stone Soup. And this person says, I'd like to make us some soup, but I don't have anything to give. And so they bring a stone. That's all they have, right? And so at bringing the stone, which is the symbol of all they have, they ask the host, could you put on a pot of water, right? And then before you know it, carrots show up and onions show up and a a meal bone shows up and a little salt shows up and a little pepper shows up. And that's been our experience at St. John's is that you're absolutely right. There's been this sense that we all have something we can offer. Yeah. And, and the freedom to do that, the willingness to do that. There's only two things that I believe stop us from living an abundant life. And that's whether it's individually, as a faith community, as a nation. There are two words. I believe it's what sums up the temptations of Jesus. And that is belief in scarcity, not enough. You're hungry. Turn these stones into bread, right? And then inadequacy. If you worship me, I'll give you all the power you could have ever asked for. When we operate out of not believing we are enough, when we operate out of believing we don't have enough, then we shut down the flow of the abundance of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom is so powerful because, number one, it needs a vision. Yes. Who are we going to help? Who are we here to serve? How are we being invited to bring our resources to bear on the problem before our very eyes? Now, here's the challenge is that when Rudy and I came to St. John, 
there were more qualified ministers on our church staff who had also been invited to come and take a look, right? And it was kind of like Moses sending the spies into the promised land. Rudy and I were just the only two who went, oh my God, did you see those grapes, right? And so the reality is when we stay open to the possibility and when we don't shut down flow with the limiting beliefs of scarcity and inadequacy, now let's take this very personally in our own personal lives. When we don't think we have enough, when we don't think we are enough, we shut down the flow. Yes. Yes. And flow yes. operates in creativity. It operates in having a vision. It operates in staying open. I, I love this. And I'm going to invite your audience to do this. Those of you who can see me. Act as though you're clapping your hands in front of me. A daily affirmation I invite our congregation and, and our friends in, in social media to make. You bring your hands in front of you as though you're clapping. And then you open them. And you say, I am open and willing to receive and to give love. Let's do it again. I'm open and willing to receive and to what? Give love. You see, because God is love. And energetically, the vibration and the frequency for miracles, the vibration and the frequency for abundance is on the flow of love. So when we stay open to love, we're open to vi the vibration of abundance. We're open to generosity. We're open to uh, gratitude. And all of those together solve the problems of hurting hearts, not only ours, but those around us. We'll be right back. Yeah, right we'll be right back. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a Black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation. For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective.
All right. And we are back with our guest, Dr. Rasmus. She is Juanita Campbell, Rasmus, speaker, author, spiritual director, contemplative teacher. We are talking about serving the needs of our community. What a wonderful witness you are. Yeah. Um, what a, an amazing story of how God has used you and your husband um, to do good and great work serving the community, uh, starting from nothing and to everything. What an amazing witness of how God is source and supply when there is nothing, how God owns the cattle on a thousand hill and he could sell some and make a way, how our expectation is in him. Come on, somebody. Yes, because that's what happens when Dr. Rasmus is here and she had you doing exercises and everything. Listen, God is sourcing and supply. And so we are so grateful. Now, listen, I want to go into your book, Dr. Rasmus, and thank you so much for being obedient, even with the story that God has placed on the inside of you. Um, You know, I think we all have a responsibility to download our lives, our stories and gifts um, onto pages to leave, I think, a legacy, to leave our lessons, to leave everything. And so, um, so you wrote a book, it's Learning to Be. Finding Your Center After the Bottom Falls Out. It's spiritual practices. Tell us about your book and what inspired it. Well, what inspired it was a major depressive episode. Now, my grandmother didn't know anything about a major depressive episode. That's what my psychiatrist called it. My grandmother would have said, baby, you just had a nervous breakdown. And the reality is that When we find ourselves in these places with a mental health diagnosis, we can do one or two things. We can either become the diagnosis or we can use the diagnosis so that we can become, Mm. become our most expansive self, become the self that God has been longing for us to be. And I'm grateful that we're having a chance to talk about this because May is Mental Health Month. And so I'm grateful to be able to share my journey with a mental health diagnosis and learning to be The reality is most of us invest most of our time, life, energy in doing, checking things off our to-do list, uh, making sure we've got enough goals and we're accomplishing them. And all of that's wonderful and is necessary. But the reality is what happens? I can give you a perfect example of this. This morning, I got up. I have a regular routine of meditation, then prayer right? This morning I got up, I prayed, and then something got my attention. And before I knew it, I was organizing my closet. And as I was in the closet, I started noticing what I was noticing. I started noticing that I was feeling anxious. And I stopped and said, why am I feeling anxious? Because I was doing a good thing, right? As I was sorting things, I was saying, okay, God, who should I give this to? And the Lord gave me two women, And he said, give, and he would say, give this to that person, give this to that person. So I was doing a good thing, but I want you to know that everything that's good to do is not always ours to do in a certain time. Yes. That's good. That's good. That's good. You just hit on something that was something that emerged for me as we came out of the pandemic. And this is, this is again, this is another understanding of God's promises and what he provides us with. We think of service often in just in terms of money. We don't think of it in terms of our time and our attention. And I, I've even come to appreciate tithing because not my new morning practice, which wasn't the way it was prior to 2020, was um, get up, go to my prayer corner, pray, go outside on somewhere outside to glorify all of creation. And I remember at the beginning, it was almost like, ugh. 
but I, I got work to do. I got to get, I got, and I was like, this is a form of tithing. First fruits is not just the money. That's first right. Fruits, what, what's the first person I talk to? God, right. what's the first voice that I hear? Who's the two gets my first attention in the morning? It's first fruits. And, but you got to trust God again, because you, the, I'll speak for myself. I've been conditioned to believe I ain't got enough time. I'll squeeze it in. I'll, I'll get around to it. I'll get a break at some point before I fall asleep at night or whatever it is. But I'm going to squeeze it in the margins. And it, we do it, obviously, a disservice to God because God deserves better. But we do a disservice to ourselves. Yes. And I found out it's not, not the world did not fall apart because I took 10 minutes in the morning and got on my knees and talked to God before I started my day. And so many, you know, again, the, the Be Lifted Up audience is an audience that's focused on abundance and wealth and as a result, achievement, financial achievement, career achievement, business achievement. And we are often, even as people of faith, the very ones that are robbing God and then robbing ourselves of okay. something as simple as, you know what, you got time, you got time to just do it. And, and it just makes you better for the service that God expects us to give. So I just think that's so powerful. Well, thank you. So what, what learning to be is really all about, learning to be is my spiritual memoir. And it's my experience of getting a major health, to, uh, a mental health diagnosis and learning that I can live with the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. All right. And mm -hmm. so part of that has made me a mental health advocate. But in the book, what I do is I talk about as vulnerably as I knew how my experience, what it was like uh, to wake up sleeping 18 to 20 hours a day and not being able to get out of bed, not remembering how to go to the restroom, what it was like to lay in bed, turning my head from the left to right and wondering what the horrible stench was only to find out it was me because I hadn't bathed in a month. Wow. What it meant and what it felt like to learn that I needed a psychiatrist and that I would need medication and that I would need a, uh, to have talk therapy with a therapist. All of these were the realities of what happened when I had not honored my own mental health and well-being. When I had not noticed that, and this is something the spirit helped me to see. Um, I did a family tree. The spirit said, look at your family tree, but not for uh, what we tend to look at, who was married and who was born. Look at how many people had mental health crisis in your family. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Look at how many people have set unhealthy boundaries. How many people kept saying yes when they really needed to say no and back away and give themselves some Sabbath space, right? And yeah. so I talk about what it is to notice what you're noticing. That's part of the examine process, which is a spiritual mm -hmm. practice that many of us aren't aware of. The, mm -hmm. the practice of Lexio Divina, what it means to marinate in a, just a few verses of scripture, not try to memorize the whole chapter, although well, that's important too. But what about letting the chapter memorize you? Mm. What about letting those few verses speak to you in a way that's transformative, in a way that helps you to prioritize what will give you life? Because the scripture says, I've come that you might have life and have it what? More abundantly. Yes. Do you know what I found out? That when I put God first, and let me give you a beautiful example. One morning I wake, woke up and remember our church started with nine members, but every year we grew by at least 500. By the time I crashed in 99, we had a membership of 3,500. My husband and I were the key pastors. We rotated preaching every Sunday. We had one secretary and a few ministry leaders. 
We had a vibrant community that had a lot of needs because ours is not a silk stocking church. It's very much a lighthouse church. If you're familiar with lighthouses, they're often on the rocky edges of the beach. They're not on the scene again. They're on the end where people are coming in beaten and battered. And that was our congregation. There was a 12-step community there, many CANA people. This was during the height of the crack cocaine time. We were also one of the first churches to eulogize persons in our community who had died from HIV and AIDS because there were many churches that were saying, you cannot bring your relative here. St. John's opened our doors. We've always been that place where you could come. The LGBTQIA community have found a home at St. John's. And as long as we are living and breathing and have anything to do with it, even though we're retiring, or should I say rewiring in May, uh-huh. yes. there will always be a community at St. John's for all the people who are getting pushed to the margins. When we got there, there was so much happening. I was teaching two Bible studies a week, preaching every other Sunday. I was a perfectionist and a performance addict, and I didn't know it until I crashed. So the crash for me became the opportunity for me to be still and know God, to really know God, to also be still and know myself. You see, I'd been telling myself a story and we all have a narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Most of us don't challenge our narrative, but this crash caused me to say, wait a minute, the story I've written about myself isn't working. I can't get out of bed. I can't be a good wife. I can't be a good mother. I can't be a good anything. Part of my story was about being a good little girl. Wow. Oh, it just gets better. We have been fed to overstuff by Pastor Juanita. Oh, Pastor Juanita, uh, just powerful. We got more than one powerful story. Obviously, we're talking about service, and that's the theme of the show. But you really get getting deep into what has to happen if we're really going to be surrendered to God in the name of service, if we're really going to be fit vessels, um, and that our, our mental health and wellness and our honesty about our own narrative, truth, the truth shall set you free. But it's not just truth about what you read. It's about the truth of yourself and your relationship with God. Um, the other thing that struck me about the last segment, again, I was, I'm the grandson of a pastor. I was raised in the church. And it's only, again, in the last four or five years, probably I'm being generous, maybe the last three or four years, that I stopped trying to read the Bible performatively. I used to take pride in how many times I've read the whole Bible because, you know, I was oh, like, wow. and it was a performative thing. It's like, yeah, I read the whole Bible back to front, back to front. It started out when I was in college. Again, very, I was like, when I go to college, I'm going to read a chapter every day. And it became about the performance, not about the lessons and the food that I was supposed to be getting at those readings. And it's only now that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to read for wisdom and understanding and guidance and not just to be able to say, you know what? I read the whole Bible this year again. <laughs> you know, so this whole idea of performative faith, which, like I said, you may be doing very, very good things, but you're emptying yourself. You're not receiving replenishment when it's performative. Uh, so I just you know what good thing you know what Alfred good things are not God things and you know what people you know I think Dr. Rasmus mentioned it at the beginning 
or I'll say it like this. I believe we're going to be held accountable when we get to the gate. We're going to have to make an account for not what we did, but what God told us to do. And so as you're saying that, Alfred, I just think about that. Dr. Rasmus, listen, don't let us preach the sermon. We're the congregation over here. We just amen it. We We just amen. amen. We just, yeah, we're the choir. It is the amen corner. But, you know, so much of your life, uh, board of directors, or, or what I really want you to also talk about as it pertains to your book, um, was one of the drivers, because I know one part was your gift and just the setup of what God gave you, including the illness or the, the um, I forget the language that you use or the framing, but he gave you the gift. He gave you the life experience, let's just say. Um, he gave you the opportunity. Um, and then it looks like you held the position at the Jung Center Mind, Body, Spirit Institute. So you also had vocation in the space. Um, you also serve on the board of directors of, is it Renovare, the spiritual formation founded by Richard Foster? We also read you're on the board of directors of what? The Houston Graduate School of Theology um, and then an advisory board member at Rice University of Religion. So it just seems like you had a lot. And so can you just speak to that? Because there's somebody listening like, well, Dr. Rasmus, she had a lot going on for her. I didn't have all of that. How am I going to serve? Here's the thing, take a deep breath. And one of the things I encourage people to do is to ask yourself two questions. Number one, who am I? Who am I? When you do that, you get an opportunity to say, not who do my mom and them want me to be? Not who the superior or or supervisor at work wants to be, but who am I? Who am I innately? I find that to really answer that question, you need some quality time with God. Being a contemplative simply means I choose to um, qualify and quantify my time with God. A contemplative could be another word for it. Um, Howard Thurman was often called a mystic. He was a contemplative, a person who believed in investing. And I hate to say the word spending, investing quality time with God. So the first question is, who am I? When you begin to ask that question, then you can say to God, okay, God, how are you inviting me to serve? All right. I want to encourage people when they think about serving to not limit it to the four walls of the church. How are you being invited to show up in the world? Um, As a part of my recovery, I had started to get to the place where I had a little energy, but not so much that I could go back to pastoring full time. And I decided that I wanted to volunteer. And so I volunteered at a center uh, that created pottery and they painted pottery. It was an adult center for adults with learning differences and disabilities. And so they sold the pottery as a means to support their art project. And so I started volunteering. Many of these Uh, participants were nonverbal. And so they would grunt when you walked in the door. That was their hello and welcome and so forth. And that was perfect for me because at that point, I did not need to exercise that part of my brain. I just needed to show up, be told something to do and know that I was helping, right? And so I did that. So sometimes when you've got a lot on your plate, you don't need to show up with your resume. You need to show up with something that's simple, something where you know you're making a difference and something that gives you life, not takes life from you, okay? The second question is, 
what would I love? Number one, who am I? Number two, what would I love? What would you absolutely love? Somebody might be saying, well, I'd love to go skydiving. Okay, well, why not consider seeing if the skydiving place needs a volunteer to sweep out the planes so that you get to be exposed to something you already have an interest in, something that you already have a, a desire to know more about. Who am I? And what would I love? Remember, abundance operates on the vibration and the frequency of love. And God is love. When I am engaging in things I absolutely love, God is pleased. And my soul is fed so that I can be present and do those things that aren't perhaps so life-giving, but nevertheless have to be done, right? Who am I and what would I love? That is so powerful, and it brings to mind at least two other things. One, staying away from the, I'll call it the evil of comparison. Because oh. another way we don't serve is we compare ourselves to others and what they're given and what they're doing. And the second thing is like, when you ask those two questions, you're not asking based on what other people think. Because once you get into that game, it distracts you really from, from hearing and listening to God. And so whether you're talking about your own health and capacity to serve and your capacity to give, comparison and paying over too much attention or any attention to what the world, if you will, thinks are both blockages to the ability to do that. Again, uh, you go back to scarcity and inadequacy. Yes, yes. Is I'm inadequate, right? And God is saying that everything that God created was what? Good. Yes, so uh, I was talking recently, a friend has a child who um, has autism and uh, someone was saying, well, what gift does this child bring into the world who is um, not able to function at capacity? Who, okay, first of all, who says what capacity is? But anyway, that's another story, right? But this child has come into a family that this family now gets to care for this child. This child has shown up, Right. And they're offering what they can offer. And that is their diagnosis of autism gives them limits. And those limits now are being fulfilled by the family members who are volunteering to help care for this person. So when we talk about not having capacity, we all have some capacity, even if it's in our lack of capacity. Yes, yes, yes. Pastor Juanita, we're coming down the home stretch. I don't want to lose the opportunity for our audience to know where to continue to connect with you to get fed. We definitely want everyone to get the book, Learning to Be, Finding Your Center, after the bottom falls out. But what are other ways that our audience can stay in touch with you? Well, first of all, Juanita Rasmus on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm Pastor Juanita Rasmus. I'm on Twitter, Pastor underscore Juanita. I'm out there. You can find me. <laughs> um, and then the book can be purchased anywhere booksellers are selling books. Certainly uh, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, but also check your local library. If your budget doesn't allow you to buy the book, go to your local library, ask them to order the book for you. But the book is not only for those experiencing mental health challenges, but for anybody, divorce, a diagnosis, a, a, a dream that's blown up in your face, whatever it is that seems to have pulled the rug of life from under your feet. I believe learning to be has hope and a message of encouragement and some spiritual practices to get you centered again. Thank you so much for having me today.
Oh, we thank you. We got to have you back. <laughs> I love to be back. Yes, yes. All right. Well, that's our show for today. This is Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. And what an awesome conversation. And I hope a challenge, Alfred, I hope this was a challenge for our listeners to think about your gift or think about just where there is a need to serve. Because what I didn't share, I mean, I think the two of us, we could have shared a lot on this topic is, you know, the way that I have been blessed and favored, highly favored with all that I have. It really comes from a place of positioning myself to serve in my relationship with the Lord. And so um, I'm so grateful that we had Dr. Rasmus here to talk about it. So for everybody listening, just find a place to serve and volunteer where there is a need and that is your come up. And on the next show, I'll share with you how serving got me to the White House. It got me six years of access to the Obama White House. It was not the business in me. It wasn't the CEO in me. It was a service. Alfred, what say you? Listen, I just want people to remember from Pastor Juanita's story. They started their service in Houston with no money. They started with a credit card. They started with at least one of them not being a believer, but just being willing to serve. They started with a set of skills that people don't normally associate with church service. These were business people and financial professionals, insurance. Yet they found a way. They started with what they had to do what they did and look at the abundant fruit that's been born. So I would just say, repeat what she said. Start where you are with what you have. There's somebody you can help and God will bless you. God will bless what you're doing. It'll be abundant living before you know it. Listen, you're listening to Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. Um, You can follow us on social at B, the letter B, Lifted Up Radio across all social platforms. We are so glad you joined us. D, it's always a pleasure. Of course. It's Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, Targeted electronic newsletter. Experienced sales representation. For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. 
with quality over quantity from concept to completion. Now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective.